Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 2. Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. On this episode, David Rosen of the Piecing It Together podcast joins us to talk about the Mortal Kombat franchise. But how does the classic 90s version of this franchise, making the leap from video game to movie, compare to the 2021 reboot? Let's get into it and find out. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat, more specifically the 1995 movie, the 1997 sequel, probably going to touch on the 2021 reboot as well. And I am honored to be joined by David Rosen. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, getting into this one. Yeah. So you tell people a little bit about your show, Piecing It Together. Sure. Yeah. Well, over on Piecing It Together, what we do is we take a look at a new movie through the lens of what other movies might have inspired it. And we we do episodes weekly, sometimes twice a week, because there's a lot of movies to cover. But basically, it, it creates a, a different way of looking at movies. And you end up with a, a nice list of recommendations by the end of the show, because if you like the movie we're talking about, obviously, it may have been inspired by these other movies. And so you get a nice list to go check out as well. And uh, just a quick note, we still haven't done one on the new Mortal Kombat, but maybe we will one of these days. Yeah, I was going to ask because the puzzle pieces for this franchise it would be pretty easy to kind of break down. I feel like the first one, I did a podcast, I think last year on Enter the Dragon. And I was like, yeah, this is where Mortal Kombat and every sure. other martial arts tournament movie afterwards was kind of uh, cribbing notes from. Yeah, that was actually my problem with approaching an episode is because like, they're all based on the same thing. Like, yeah. it's not like the new Mortal Kombat's based on something different. It's like, it's just the same old Mortal Kombat, just different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so just kind of moving on with this one, before we get into the movie specifically, what is kind of your background or your history with the Mortal Kombat franchise, movies or games or, or anything else? There's been a lot of multimedia coming out of this brand. Sure. Well, I mean, I was a teenager when Mortal Kombat came out. I, I want to say 93. Is it? Do you have I think a like note late 92, early 90? Yeah, around there. Oh, so yeah, I was 12 or 13 at the time. And it was the absolute greatest thing that had ever happened to me up until <laughs> that point, you know? And I, I love that game so much. And I spent so many hours just like standing in line at the arcade for my turn to play, you know, putting my quarter up there, which means I'm next. And uh, I specifically love Mortal Kombat 2, but I was just as big of a fan of the first one. And when the movies came out, it was also a big deal. So yeah, I mean, Mortal Kombat's been a big thing. And I still, I, you know, it's as far as a game is concerned, the last few entries in the series have really, really kind of recaptured just how exciting that series was when it first started after there were years of bad Mortal Kombat games, but they've really kind of figured out a way to move into the new generation of, of video game systems and make these last few just like really, really awesome. 
Yeah, I think is did Nether Realm Studios just only recently kind of take over? I'm not sure behind the scenes, but they, I feel like the game engine has completely changed. Totally, yeah, and and Nether Realm is made up of people who were around for the original uh, developers like Midway and all that, and some some of the team and then new team as well. And I think they just weren't quite ready to push into the world of like you know 3D and texturing, all that stuff, all the things that went with you know the Nintendo 64 era and the GameCube and PlayStation 2 and all that. Like that era just wasn't properly prepped for what a new fighting game could be. And I think now they're able to really kind of like catch up with themselves and it's that and imagination they seem to have gotten their imagination back yeah yeah i think that it's also not only that they've they've tapped into what makes this franchise work but also you know you have all the dlc of like you can play as robocop and like oh, sure jason Voorhees, and they're kind of like bringing in all these other outside third-party characters into the I'm world s- of i'm Mortal still Kombat. waiting for ash from evil dead it's got yeah right these days my after well just kind of backing it up a minute i my first big introduction to mortal kombat was so i was born in 83 so i remember Mm -hmm. my 10th birthday i was already interested in the games i already wanted to play it was a sega genesis exclusive and i had super nintendo so Mm -hmm. my parents rented a sega genesis and a few games including mortal kombat from like the local video store and so my friends and i were all like you know, enamored with Mortal Kombat. And I think that was kind of my, when I really fell in love with the franchise. And I think, you know, around the time, there were so many fighting games kind of competing for dominance at the point. You had Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and Tekken and Virtua Fighter. And there's probably another one or two that I'm missing all kind of in arcades at the same time. And it's, it's really fun revisiting this franchise now as, you know, in my late 30s, going back to all this entire world of of that form of video games that did motion capture for the characters the the world the era of arcades all this stuff just just like so you know so obsolete at this point yeah, there was a really great documentary that came out last year called Insert Coin that looked at uh, Midway in the 90s and all of their games. And there's a pretty big section on Mortal Kombat, of course, because that's one of the biggest ones. And it's great like seeing some of that behind the scenes stuff on that. I'd love a documentary just exclusively on Mortal Kombat, but really all of that like digitizing that Midway was like the first to kind of do, really the only to do at the time. I, I feel like nobody else was at least doing it as much as they did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that like the level of the level of blood and gore and violence, oh, yeah. the, you know, the fatalities, which was kind of controversial back in the 90s. I, I think that it's that kind of thing has become so mainstream now. Now we have ratings on our games, which didn't exist back in the day. It was just kind of through parents for a loop. Uh, so so going into, you know, from the games to the movies, what was your reaction, you know, when you saw the original movie in 1995? I've been trying to remember what my original reaction is because, you know, especially with the new movie out and so, you know, Mortal Kombat's in the air and I just recently rewatched, you know, all of them, you know, before the new movie came out and I feel like I didn't love it when it first came out. Like I loved the song. Don't get me wrong. The the, yeah. the Mortal Kombat techno song is just the best, and it's so ridiculous and so much fun. But I feel like I always kind of saw the movie as the cheesy B movie that it is, and didn't kind of get swept up in it. I was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of corny. Like all video game movies were up until that <laughs> point, and still continue to be. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I was 12 when it came out. So I think I was right in the, it snuck by before I started to get judgmental about film. And I was right. like, hey, Mortal Kombat, I know all these characters, get over here. I remember that. And yeah. th- this franchise, all all iterations, but you know, speaking specifically about the first one, it's so heavy handed with all the, the you know, the catchphrases and everything, which mm-hmm. is part of it, obviously. But it, it's, looking back on it now, I'm like, I can't believe I thought this was a, solid like adaptation of the game because it doesn't feel it feels like a completely neutered version of the game it's like hollywood execs trying to make something out of this property without keeping anything that that's actually at the heart of this property yeah i'm not sure if the worst part about it is the fact that it's just simply a bad movie or if it's the fact that it's a neutered version of Mortal Kombat that there's no fatalities. There's no blood. It's totally PG. And that really Mortal Kombat exists for gore and blood and that over the topness. And I feel like this just decided to go in a camp direction and don't get me wrong. I'm so far saying, you know, the negatives of the movie, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had with it because it's so ridiculous, but it's, it's still not the thing that you want out of a Mortal Kombat movie. Right. It was it was a different time, too. It was like, you know, getting a, a movie based on your favorite game didn't happen all the right. time. There And compared to the video game movies that became before this, your Double Dragons, your Super Mario Brothers, that Mortal Kombat movie, it was a, was a masterpiece. Like oh, yeah. we had, it was slim pickings back then. And it's, you know, it's kind of like where we were with superhero movies in the early to, early to mid 90s versus now. Now there's one every month. Back in the day, you had your Tim Burton Batman. Maybe you'd get something random like a tank girl or like, or, or something or the shadow or things like that. But they were few and far between. And so you were just kind of happy to get scraps at that point. Oh, yeah. I, I recently was on another podcast where we did a top five video game movies episode. And it was a difficult, difficult process <laughs> to try to even come up with five. And of course, this 1995 Mortal Kombat made the list. So that's saying a lot about just how bad most video game movies are. Yeah, I find that the best video game movies are the movies that aren't based on video games. They're like your Scott Pilgrims, your Hardcore Henry, movies like that, that are just, how do we emulate that experience and translate it to a different medium instead of trying to just cram mythology into 90 minutes and be like, see, there there they are, they're on on screen, close enough, and and just cashing (laughs) in on it. Yeah, you know that game that you love to play? Well, now you can't play it, you just watch it happen. Yeah, exactly. it's not as good. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So when they made this movie, this was, I, I believe, Paul W.S. Anderson, very different Paul Anderson from the other one, PTA, <laughs> which is crazy that there's two directors with such similar names and such wildly different filmographies. It's, I think, I believe it was his first movie or like at least his breakthrough before the Resident Evil series kind of took over his life with, with Mila Jovovich and just professionally as well. Looking back on this, does this feel sort of emblematic of what his career would be or do you do you feel like how does this rank in the Paul W.S. Anderson canon I mean it's definitely for what it is it's one of the celebrated ones I think because yeah I mean his his career he's had this long successful career uh, successful in big quotation marks but you know he's got a style all of his own and he seems to be having fun making these kinds of schlocky movies. So, you know, who's to fault him? And he definitely has plenty of fans. So, Yeah. People forget that this movie, you looking back on it now without the context of what we just talked about, 
people would just look back and, and not believe that this was the movie everyone he grew up with and was so excited about. But right. but it, it's, yeah, it's what we had back then. And it, and it was a huge hit at the box office. It was number one that week worldwide. It made over a hundred million dollars. So it's it was a it was a thing. It was legit a thing. And it's one of those franchises that came out big swing with the first movie completely dropped the ball by the second one. Uh, is is there, looking back at the first one now, what's kind of your, your takeaway? What did this movie do right? And what did it do wrong by, by the games as far as uh, adapting it? I feel like it did most things wrong. You know, I, I think that there is a lot of campiness to the whole Mortal Kombat, you know, mythology and, you know, especially in the later games. And that's the thing. The later games didn't exist yet at that time. At, the, at that time, it was still a fairly serious thing of these people, you know, punching each other's heads off and, and tearing their guts out and stuff like that. And it wasn't quite as silly as, you know, it's gone on to become because now like in the recent Mortal Kombat games, you have a story mode and it's almost like a, like a, a cheesy B movie unfolding. And then like every so often it gets to a fight and then you play the fight. But the rest of the time, it's just this big long cut scene. That's like a total B movie. Um, that didn't exist yet at the time. So it was just so different from anything that you would expect to want out of a Mortal Kombat movie. But I, I will say, though, I mean, some of the actors are so much fun. I mean, obviously, Christopher Lambert as Raiden, just totally hamming it up. Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa as Shang Tsung. That is the best thing of the movie, I think. I uh, 100%. Your soul is mine. He's so, glad so much fun. He is so much fun. Every time he like looks into the screen and delivers a line like directly to camera, it's hilarious. Now, I will say, you know, we're going to, you know, touch on the new Mortal Kombat every so often during this conversation. Right. I'm one of the few people who really enjoyed the new Mortal Kombat. I, it's a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. But I, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. But I think the thing it's missing is a Shang Tsung like this guy. I, I think mm -hmm. it is totally missing that Shang Tsung character. The Shang Tsung that they have is just too serious and is not having any fun with the role. I mean, their Raiden is having fun with the role. Their Kano is having fun, but they really needed a over-the-top Shang Tsung. Yeah, Kano in the new movie is having more fun, enough fun for everybody, essentially. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which makes him one of those, like a great love to hate kind of character in the way that the, the original Kano in the, in the first movie, it kind of touches on, but doesn't, because I think they're kind of hindered by that PG-13 rating, can't really lean into it as much. Sure. Uh, he can't really be as sleazy as the new Kano is. But yeah, yes. I, I completely agree with you. I think, I think the Shang Tsung here completely elevates it. You know, you have it has begun is just like uh, the the perfect gift to drop and anytime uh, <laughs> it has begun like we were talking about this doing this on twitter and i think we agreed to set it up and i was like oh, i got to drop the the shang song gif and totally. and it it works <laughs> you know it, he's he understands what movie he's in meanwhile a lot of the other actors are either playing it straight or just playing it so bland uh, right. i think robin shu is okay as Liu Kang because he looks the part, but he doesn't really bring much charisma to the screen. I think I've, I, I think that Liu Kang, though, do, would you agree that he is the best 
choice for lead character. I mean, I think that's one of my big criticisms of the new one is that we have this Cole Young guy who I couldn't give a crap less about. Sure. Uh, and I feel like they should have just let Liu Kang be the lead. Yeah, plus, I mean, the 1995 Liu Kang is fun for his own reason. I mean, he's, right. he's you know, very cheesy, but in a tradition of great martial arts type movies. By the way, he's my mom's favorite character. She always loves his hair. Uh, she always loves <laughs> to comment about the hair, how great it is. But I really yeah. like the new Liu Kang, though. I, I think that he is, like, also kind of like overly serious to the point of self-parody. And I, I again, mm -hmm. I think that that is kind of what all these Mortal Kombat's are. And that's why when people were kind of annoyed that the movie was, I don't know, mixing tones and, and not serious enough, but then it wasn't funny enough. Like I, I kind of, I, I don't know, I'm on an island when it comes <laughs> to this new Mortal <laughs> Kombat movie. But yeah, I think Liu Kang is the, the proper entry point for a Mortal Kombat movie. Totally. And I could see them with the sequel to the new one, kind of uh, pulling a Hellboy or uh, some of these other franchises that have introduced a new character that's not in the source material, just to mm. kind of get you into the world and then dropping them completely and shifting perspective to someone that actually matters. I sure. could see them doing that with the sequel, honestly. And I kind of hope that they do. Absolutely. Another, another thing, and the one thing that the original really has over the new one and really over all of them is uh, the puppet Goro is just awesome in the original. Yeah. That's that's the other best part aside from Shang Tsung, I think. Yeah, a lot of the, obviously a lot of the visual effects in the 90s movies don't hold up. I mean, Reptile looks pretty bad. Off. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> even at the time, watching it now, I'm like, even in 95, that was that didn't look good. Why didn't that stick out to me more as a 12-year-old, as a you know, budding movie critic? But yeah, I think the Goro looks, Goro looks really solid. And I didn't even realize until more recently that Kevin Michael Richardson, who's, you know, a veteran voice actor and you heard him in pretty much everything, provided the voice for Goro. And now it really sticks out to me in a, in a positive way. Yeah. I, I think too, the thing that about the original Mortal Kombat that they had it easy is because that came out and they think they were on Mortal Kombat 3 when that film came out, something like that. It was pretty early in the run. Right. Uh, and, and, and I believe the story was based on kind of a combination of the first two games. But that's exactly my point is that the story of those games, unless you read the instruction booklet that gives you the, the, the character bios, like, yeah. you were, like you were saying, there is no story. They're like, no. oh, this guy is basically based on Bruce Lee. Johnny Cage is kind of famously, you know, inspired by Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know, you have you have all the sort of uh, warrior characters, the Sub-Zero and Scorpion and Reptile and Smoke. They all have the same outfit, just different colors. So uh -huh. it's just kind of, you know, it's it's very... It's very simplistic character design and they have their moves and you, you figure out which one is yours. Mine was Sub-Zero and you just latch on to him and that's it. You don't really care about, well, who, who are they? Where do they come from? And so in Mortal Kombat, the original, I think nobody really paid that close attention to the mythology. And so it gets away with having this whole backstory of Sub-Zero and Scorpion that's portrayed more accurately in the new movie totally cast aside and Shang Tsung's like, you know, throws it off in a line, Scorpion and Sub-Zero, you know, mortal enemies with slaves under my control. It's like he turns <laughs> them into punks. Sonya is presented as this headstrong kind of badass woman. She takes out Kano, obviously, but she ultimately boils down to being treated like the damsel in distress in the third act. So you get a lot of that kind of betraying what the hardcore fans, I, I guess, loved about these characters.
Yeah, I think a lot of more recent video game movies, the the Mortal Kombat one, and a lot of other ones like Sonic the Hedgehog and and the the Pokemon movie with Ryan Reynolds, they they all do this thing where they use enough of the source material, but mm-hmm. then try to make it a movie. You know, <laughs> where right. where it, whereas these older video game movies, it's like they use nothing except character names and like you know maybe a setting or two or a a special move or something. But otherwise, they really just kind of pick and choose what they want and throw it together into some hokey Z grade script. And then the the fighting isn't even that interesting. And the choreography is very bland. And and as you were saying earlier, bloodless yeah. for Mortal Kombat, which is known for its violence and its gore. And you get you get some kind of tips of the hat, obviously, get over here. And you know, Luke Kang does his bicycle move, his bicycle mm-hmm. kick, which which is was a big deal for 12-year-old Rob. You're like, oh my God, he did his he did his oh, move yeah. where you have to like hold the kick button for three seconds and then you're able to do it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's like you had these little morsels and that's pretty much all that it had going for it as far as ties to the property, which is very strange looking back. Yeah. And as we get into the second Mortal Kombat, that's all we get. And the second one oh, is God. just Easter egg after Easter egg. But it, it we'll really get to is. that when it's time, though. Yeah, well, well, we're getting there. I think generally my favorite element that this movie brings to the franchise is that song, for sure. We're decades later and it's still a banger. I think it's it still really works. to the to the point that the new movie had to like well we got to do the song people are expecting the song yeah you know we'll, we'll we'll take the games we'll adapt the games but we need the song from that that first movie yeah that song is definitely an all timer and it, you know the rest of the score is awful it's all techno that's like inspired by that song and doesn't fit like at all and just grates and it's just the same beat over and over again but that song is the best. Yeah, I've listened to the scores for uh, the original and the new movie. The, and the Benjamin Walfisk score for the new one is actually really strong. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I think the, the the remixed version of, of Techno Syndrome, eh, I can kind of take or leave. It's just nice to hear that song back and represented. But yeah, but the rest of the music actually elevates the film, which is which is fun to see. I will say the way he incorporated that beat into, you know, that moment with Scorpion saying, get over here. Absolute goosebumps. Get over here. I I don't care that anybody hates that movie. I, I love it. (laughs) well it was such a big deal for me when that when that premiered on hbo max that Mm. my brother and my parents and i we all got together to watch that movie together because you know we saw the original in theaters in 1995 and and we were all completely into it the whole time like multiple cheer moments just really invested in every little every little element of the movie i think the other thing that's too is that the new one knows fundamentally that it's campy. It knows that it's ridiculous and it leans into that where you get lots of not only, you know, Easter eggs, like references, the the flawless victory, all that stuff. Uh, You get the Kung Lao does the move with the hat. You get Kano proclaiming himself the winner of the fight. Uh, Little things like uh, one of the funniest ones I thought was Liu Kang doing that, the roundhouse move over and over and over again. Like he's a button masher. I was like, that's amazing. Oh yeah. I feel like the move, the new one does such a much better job of simulating the experience of what it's like to actually play Mortal Kombat. 
Absolutely. I, I think it's a movie for fans of the game and it's a movie that doesn't care that you wanted a a good quote unquote Mortal Kombat movie. It just it never had that in mind, you know. And I I understand. I I've been saying this ever since it came out. I feel like the director did the movie a disservice because he got on Twitter and started telling people, "Oh, this is gonna be the best fighting you've ever seen in a movie." Where we're really taking this to this whole new level, making you know a film, you know, an F I L M film, you know. But no, that's not what it was. It never was gonna be that. And I think I went into it knowing that for whatever reason and that's that's why it just worked for me i would have liked to seen the version that kevin tancheroen was working on a few years ago based on he had that short film a rebirth and then the kind of web series legacy which i've seen i think most of the first season of i i would have liked to seen what he would have brought to it but I, i do think that the new one lands much closer in line with what i would expect mortal kombat to be and it and at the end of the day, the mythology is there, but it's like, we're not, it's not a franchise where its fans are really hung up on the rules. You know, you give right, us right. these characters, you you should tell them, tell us how they're connected. And then you kind of let the mayhem ensue. And I think that it it is able to balance that, those expectations, you know, in a, in a more well-tailored environment you know, with the R rating, with with actual Asian actors in a lot of these roles, as opposed sure. to, you know, Mortal Kombat. And as much as we both love Christopher Lambert as Raiden, you know, he's a, essentially a, a Frenchman playing a, yeah. a Chinese god, I guess. So it's like it's one of the, it's one of those things that now you can't get away with that, rightfully so. So it's it's fun to see a lot of these actors plugged into this franchise. You know, we have people from Joe Taslim from The Raid and Makad Brooks has been in stuff. Hiroyuki Sonata, like the, the the cast, I think is is pretty strong. So I'm excited to see what they do with the the second one. Yeah, which hopefully will happen. I mean, it did well, despite, you know, bad reviews. It, it did pretty well, you know, for a very relatively modest budget. Right, right. And I, if if there is one criticism cast-wise of the, the new film, I would, I agree with you. I think Shang Tsung was really kind of a let. I, I love, I like Chin Han, who's been in like The Dark Knight, and he's been in a bunch of other projects. But he didn't, he, yeah, he wasn't really, he wasn't really selling it for me as the big bad of this world. Right, right. So I wonder, I'm curious to see if they're going to do a recast there or if they're going to keep him in line and maybe give him a little more fun material to work with. But I hope so. Speaking of Mortal Kombat sequels, they they can't do any... I can't imagine the sequel to this being more horrendous than Mortal Kombat (laughs) Annihilation. So, So... Mortal Kombat Annihilation came out in 1997 and basically torpedoed the entire franchise in one fell swoop as far as as far as the film aspect of it is is concerned. It was the directorial debut by John R. Leonetti and it was a critical disaster. It was a financial disaster. Is there anything good in this movie, David? And what are kind of your impressions of Annihilation? The only thing good in this movie is that you could laugh at it. That is truly the only thing. It, it is so unbelievably bad. It looks worse than I think any major movie that I've seen. The dialogue is so hilariously bad. All of the like C characters that they just kind of show for a scene or two are these. I don't even know where they found these people. It just seems like actors from like a haunted house or like a Halloween <laughs> store or something like that. Well, the um, Baraka's like mask looks like <laughs> yes. legit, legit ripped out a Halloween store. 
Absolutely. Totally. It's, I actually will say I had a lot of fun rewatching this one just because it's so stupid and so ridiculous, but yeah, it's bad all the way through. And the, the, the sad part is like, I, I think James Remar is kind of a fun character actor and he does nothing with Raiden or he's given Mm -hmm. nothing really to do with Raiden. Poor Robin Shue and, and uh, Talisa Soto as Katana. Like mm-hmm. they're basically the only two faces from the first one to return. Bridget Wilson and Lyndon Ashby, who's fun as Johnny Cage in the first one, as, as flawed as that movie is, totally like not into it. I'm assuming totally. they just got the script and they were like, no, not, not going to. Because you wonder why they weren't able to get like anyone back. Because the first one, I mean, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I, I feel like it was at least somewhat of a hit. Uh, it was yeah yeah so it's like it's surprising they couldn't get more people back and it has to be that script it has to be that they all read it and said you know called their agent or like do anything you can to get me out of this yeah the first one had reportedly like an 18 million dollar budget and made like worldwide 120 something so it it did really well it was one of the big success stories of that year so it's it boggles my mind how this is what we we got to with the second one. Not only is the writing terrible, the the effects are terrible, their performances yeah. are terrible. Like it's, I would say it 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 kind of feels like a straight to video movie, but I feel like that's a knock against straight to video movies. Honestly. Right? Yeah. It's well, like, it, and that's what it feels like too. But but this was a big movie. It was. <laughs> New Line Cinema, who just who was in the midst of uh, who the same year released Austin Powers, and then in the years after we do Rush Hour and The Lord of the Rings and Blade and all these other much bigger, much better franchises. Just I, I'm really curious what happened behind the scenes because I don't. I think I, I have to imagine that the the powers that be just got complacent and they were like, okay, people love that song. Song is back in. Opens on the same song because, of course, and you put that in front of any movie, I'm going to get hyped up for at least 10 to 30 seconds before (laughs) it it all comes crashing down. Uh, And and then they're like, okay, more characters. They love seeing characters they recognize. So this thing becomes like a revolving door of Cyrax, Ermac, Sindel, like every Shiva, like characters that even I, who had played the games growing up, forgot existed. It was like, oh, yeah. That's that's right. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they scraped the barrel. They scraped the bottom of the barrel for sure. And like, yeah, Mortal Kombat three. I feel like I, as a gamer was where it it was still good. It, it was a, a worthy follow up to Mortal Kombat two. But the series was starting to go down into that little dip. Mortal Kombat four for sure. But it, it's where you started to see the characters that just didn't actually like attach in any way there there is there's nothing memorable about them and they used every single one of them in this in this stupid movie yeah and going back to what i was saying about raiden and christopher lamberry have brian thompson who's i guess other than this movie probably best known as one of the kind of punks that the Terminator encounters when he first lands in 1984 in the original movie. The guy I didn't like, even notice that. Oh, yeah, that's oh. he's like, what does he say? Something like nothing clean, laundry day, right? That guy, he's the one that says that. Oh, and wow. he is Shao Kahn in this movie. Uh, why is he Shao Kahn? I don't understand. It, it's it, it's one of those movies that had such potential because, you know, as much as we have, you know, kind of ripped into the 1985 movie to a degree, it's still fun to watch. It still sets up 
you know, a fun, worthwhile sequel. And then within minutes, it's completely deflated here. Uh, I think when you start watching it for the first time, you notice that so many of the actors are different and you're like, huh, what's up with that? And then as it plays, (laughs) as soon as Sindel arrives with her famously bad line, which has become one of those like troll to the room level, terrible movie lines. (laughs) Which again, I feel bad. Mother, you're alive. Too bad you will die. I feel bad mentioning The Room because The Room is a much, as you and I both enjoy that movie immensely. That's a bad movie that's fascinating to watch and rewatchable and, you know, worth discussing. And I feel like Mortal Kombat Annihilation is just, eh, it just, it was rough. So I want to hear it's more about rough. your experience going back and watching it now. Which which moments the, did you get the biggest kick out of? And what is it about this franchise that this movie clearly doesn't get, even from the from the previous film? Well, I I think first of all, as far as scenes that I get like a real big kick out of, you know, that line, of course, but also at the the very, very beginning, once it first gets started and it's just people jumping all over the place. It was yeah. just absolutely bizarre. It goes on for minutes of just people jumping and it gets to be so ridiculous. It's so quickly, like I was already laughing at that point, you know, and, and it kind of doesn't let up the hamster balls that they, they, fly around yeah, what was the, that the about? outworld that that's not from the game like what made them think <laughs> to throw that in there and then when Liu Kang and Shao Kahn turn into dragons the worst CGI dragons you've ever seen in your life and fight each yeah. other that that's incredible a, a lot of this stuff is just so bad that it really becomes you know incredibly laughable and I I not going to say that I'm going to uh, revisit this one on any kind of a regular basis, but I do wonder next time, because when I watched it just recently, it was the first time since it first came out. And I remember just being totally just like, oh, this is terrible when, when it first came out. This time I laughed a lot, you know, in the so bad it's good kind of way. I wonder what I'll think the next time I just have the itch to revisit this movie, if I'll if I'll still be getting a kick out of it or if it'll just be just such a drag. But as far as what it misses from the series, though, I don't think it gets anything from the series except the character names, really. I, I mean, yeah. I feel I feel like, you know, and that's something we talked about earlier with the first one, but at least that one, you know, had a little more to do with the actual story of the games. This one, it was just how many characters can we throw in? That's what the kids like. They like to see their favorite characters on screen. So let's just put them all in there and the story will just come later, I guess. Yeah. And and things like the animality, which I, I guess, I think that it was introduced in, in the third game as well. Yeah. That's where the dragon thing comes from. It felt very, it felt like an even worse version of Suicide Squad is what it felt like too at certain points. I, I yeah. was just like, there's, it's so all over the place. I watched it in 1997 and was crushed by how terrible it was. Oh, and yeah. then hadn't seen it until recently when, you know, a few weeks ago when I knew we were going to do this podcast. And I had to look up what happens in the movie because it it did not, that's the impact it made. I was like, what, wait, what, what exactly went on? Because I feel like the movie itself doesn't even know what it's about or where it's driving towards. It's no. very meandering in that way. Yeah, yeah, it, it has no idea. I mean, things like Raiden just showing up halfway through the movie and has gotten a haircut. It's like something like that just it means that they didn't know what the hell they were doing. 
And the only cast members that were really kind of elevating the material uh, to any degree are gone and, and replaced by diluted versions of those characters, essentially. And it's, it's a, it's very disappointing because they, they could have made this a big thing in the nineties. We've could have gotten like a bunch of these and I think it would have worked. There was a lot of, had they sparsed it out a little bit more, we could have gotten, I don't want, I'm not to say I want this many, but we could have gotten like six Mortal Kombat movies in the nineties kind of spread out. And then what happened instead was this thing destroyed any goodwill fans had whatsoever. And it just kind of spread into other forms of media, basically. Did you participate in any of the Mortal Kombat franchise stuff outside the game between Annihilation and the 2021 movie? Or was this just kind of like, oh yeah, Mortal Kombat, I should pick that up again? Yeah, not really. I, I There was that short that you mentioned earlier, which was really cool. I remember seeing that when it first came out online and I was like, oh wow, this is cool. And I would maybe play every other new Mortal Kombat and play it for a day or two and be like, eh, this isn't too good. Like, I, I, and Of course, I'd always go back to Mortal Kombat too. And I, I play that like all the time because it's just the best. But yeah, it wasn't until the, I, w- I want to say 2011 was the when they rebooted it with the name Mortal Kombat. And that was the first one where it really got good again. And, but yeah, other than that though, I, I didn't watch any like the anime or the, or like the cartoon type stuff. None of that. Yeah. And they had the, they even had kind of a syndicated television series after yeah, uh, right. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That was the thing back in the day. Like I think because of the success of shows like Hercules, the legendary journey mm-hmm. and uh Xena warrior princess, there was a Highlander show. There was the Mortal Kombat show. There was like a lot of franchises were trying to kind of keep themselves afloat by going that route. And I never saw any of those episodes. It's, it's from my understanding, it's a, prequel to these movies. And I think Kung Lao is actually the main character because he's an ancestor of, of Liu Kang. So that's one way they went with that there. But uh, I would recommend listeners that want to see Mortal Kombat stuff other than these three movies that we're discussing. I would recommend they look up Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, because that animated film was really intense and really visceral as far as violence. It's actually true to the characters and and the mythology. And it was really kind of a fun watch. It was on HBO Max until recently, but they've since stripped it off. So I, you know, if people want more, I would definitely point them in that direction. Yeah, that's definitely on my watch list. I've gotten so many recommendations to watch that movie. And I I don't watch that many animated movies. I should, but that's probably towards the top of my my list of animated movies I need to check out. Absolutely. So, David, what did what do you think is the Mortal Kombat franchise's what does it contribute to cinema if you if I can use that word for this franchise, <laughs> <laughs> which again, applying it very loosely, this genre I guess being martial arts movies and or video game films, and what is its legacy as far as the impact that these movies have made on on movies? I feel like in a, in a strange way, this series is more important to cinema for the sake of camp than it is for video game movies. Like, I, I feel like it, it is like that first one, the 95 one, it is kind of a camp classic, even though it's not that great. It's not as good as some of us remember. I think there's a lot of nostalgia going on in, in people who say that they actually like that movie. But I would say its biggest legacy is the song. We, we've talked about it already, but the Mortal Kombat yeah. theme song is just, I, it, it still rules to this day. It, it's it's the best. And the series itself, I think, you know, it's it's synonymous with, with just insane, intense violence. And 
I, I guess you could see, you know, its influence on other things that try to take violence over the top. I recently, on Piecing It Together, we did an episode on Spiral, the new Saw movie, and I mentioned Mortal Kombat as a puzzle piece on that one because in the Saw movies, like, you get these these insane, over-the-top, violent traps that are just super gory, but they kind of happen in their own little, like, you've got the rest of the movie, and then all of a sudden it's like, here, watch this trap happen. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, you want some violence? Here it is for about, you know, 30 seconds to 60 seconds. You're going to get to see this really ultra-gory thing, and then we'll continue on with the actual story. And that's kind of what fatalities are in the Mortal Kombat series. Sure. So I feel like the Saw movies were inspired a little bit by, by Mortal Kombat. So I think that ultra-violent and kind of reveling in ultra violence and to the point where it becomes funny like it starts out maybe gross to some people but it gets so over the top that it becomes funny i think is really the main lasting legacy of mortal kombat it does feel like the the saw traps are take place in their own little pocket universe now that you mention it <laughs> right because right. because they they always use the like very rapid kind of camera movements and mm-hmm. and and like insanely fast-paced editing and the score charlie Klauser's score is really like, amped up in those moments and then it just like all right back to this episode see that's about episode of csi <laughs> jigsaw that's happening outside right, right. <laughs> yeah. that's true i i think too what's cool about this franchise is that it takes that kind of gore and over the top violence and it which is which you would traditionally think of as more of a more of a horror staple you know we're talking on this podcast uh, pretty soon about the child's play franchise and that series really kind of goes off the deep end over the course sure. of seven movies as far as the violence is concerned and and it applies that to a completely different genre so you get those sort of horror movie moments in the middle of a martial arts film uh it's, it's fun to see that kind of transposed into a new genre. And I think it's kind of maybe even looking back on Annihilation and its legacy, I feel like maybe that was the fact that it failed so badly and is regarded so poorly may have kind of helped to steer some of the movies you were mentioning earlier, Sonic the Hedgehog and Detective Pokemon and be like, okay, well, we can't completely take things apart because fans will rebel. Look at what happened with Mortal Kombat (laughs) Annihilation. So I feel like in a way it has maybe had a positive impact. I'm trying to look for a silver lining with with Mortal Kombat Annihilation, but that's yeah, the best I can come up with. Yeah, its legacy is don't do this or else the fans are <laughs> yeah. going to hate us. Don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Literally. So just kind of looking forward, what new directions do you want to see this franchise go from here? Obviously, we have the 2021 movie that was sort of the solid start to something more, but we still don't get any tournament in that movie. That's been sure. like one of the, the main criticisms that I've seen. People are like, well, it's not even Mortal Kombat. This is all before the tournament. What do you want to see happen in the next one, provided that it, it you know it's officially announced? Sure. Yeah, I, I am... Very hopeful that we'll get that sequel that we've talked about here. And as far as that criticism, which a lot of people love to make fun of the fact that there's no tournament in Mortal Kombat, that's kind of the point. They're they're trying mm-hmm. to stop the tournament. Like, like that, that's the kind of the thing. <laughs> Shang Tsung, he wants to stop the tournament. But I'm sure that that will be where the next one goes. We'll probably see the tournament and, you know... I'm sure there will be side stories going on where Shang Tsung's minions are trying to interfere and and ruin it all over again. But the tournament has to come eventually, and it will. And I, I feel like, you know, trying to undermine the tournament has always been a big part of the story of Mortal Kombat. 
I, I saw something, I, I, I don't know if it was the, one of the writers or one of the producers where they said that kind of their idea is to do, you know, their initial conception of this franchise or this rebooted franchise is a trilogy before, during, and after the tournament. And I, I okay. kind of, I can get down with that idea. I think that, you know, there's there's plenty of room to play around the the events of the Mortal Kombat tournament, especially since in the 95 and the 2021 version, you know, Outworld has won nine consecutive tournaments. It's all resting on this climactic, you know, this climactic kind of showdown to defend Earth. And so I, I think that it, kind of building that out and having that be sort of a long six hour journey before, during and after the tournament, I can kind of get down with that. What if they do you know what has already been rumored and they do like uh prequel stories or a spin-offs are you prepared for a potential mortal combat shared universe i am open to scorpion and sub-zero stories for sure as far as anybody else i don't think that's necessary at right. all but of course i'll be there and i, I will watch it but yeah I, I think scorpion and sub-zero i think that story would actually maybe be a better movie like a genuinely quote-unquote good mortal Kombat movie if they were to focus in on their whole rivalry um, but you know, Hollywood doesn't seem to want to make that movie and I can't imagine it happening, but you never know, you know, this movie, like we said, was a little more successful than I think people realize. And so it's possible we could get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think as much as people criticize the fact that this doesn't cover the tournament at all, I feel like the one takeaway that pretty much everyone comes away from this film uh, is that that opening sequence is killer. Like that, oh, yeah. it, it, that kind of period, you know, samurai warring factions hunting each other down. Like there's a lot to, and I think, I think they're called the Lin Kuei and the Shirai Ryu. I downloaded the app for Mortal Kombat and I was playing it in the weeks after watching this new movie. So that's, that's how it kind of awakened this for me. And, you know, my brother and I have been playing MK11 just mm -hmm. kind of in the last couple of months because it, it reawakened my whole fandom for Mortal Kombat. And I awesome. do think there's a lot of potential to to delve into that and just you know get maybe even get maybe even get a hong kong filmmaker and have them come over and have it be the hell with it have it be subtitled you know just go yeah. for it i think that would be really fun oh yeah i i would be so down for that and you know just lean into the violence lean into that where where it becomes so over the top the violence that it actually becomes funny which is the main thing that i've always loved about mortal Kombat. and i i, I will take it in whatever direction it ends up yeah yeah for sure normally this is the the point in the show where we where we rank the franchise but i'm i'm pretty sure i know what you're what you're gonna <laughs> yeah. say how would you rank these three films from best to worst well, Annihilation, so far down below anything else. It's like <laughs> subterranean. It, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Send it to Outworld. But then, then I would probably go the 95 one and I would put this new one at the top because I, I genuinely enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, same, same. I, I think what, what it boils down to, like I said earlier, is that the new one makes you feel like you're a, a part of the experience. You're you're immersed in in the universe of Mortal Kombat. Cheesy one-liners, mm -hmm. ridiculous over-the-top violence, yep. convoluted mythology, the whole thing. And and it it captures that way more than than the 95 one and certainly Annihilation, which yeah, we we need to like stop talking about for another 20 years. <laughs> um, I, I will gladly admit that Cole Young sucks though. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, like I said, if they cut him loose, I think that would be for the best for the franchise yes. in general. I think fans will allow one kind of one film with an audience surrogate kind of brought in for no reason. But I think after that, we needs to, he needs to go away. Yes. Uh, we need to focus on <laughs> shift the focus to Liu Kang who just lost his cousin. Right. Yeah. Isn't Kung Lao his cousin in the new one? Yep. Like yep. put him on a mission of vengeance for the tournament. Let's get it up. Let's make that happen. Is there anything about any of these Mortal Kombat movies we haven't mentioned that you wanted to throw out there before we wind out? I mean, the only other thing I, I think, and I kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, but in the the recent games, they've had that story mode. And I don't know, have you played those story modes before? I had uh, Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, I, I think. One of them that was that was mostly a story mode. And I tried to avoid that part of it as much as possible. Okay, uh, I, and, and that's fair because it was bad back then. But yeah. I, I, I got to say, you, if you have Mortal Kombat 11, boot up the story mode because it is a lot of fun. Very corny as Mortal Kombat story should be, but, but it genuinely feels like you are watching, you know, an animated Mortal Kombat movie. And then it's just whenever some, you know, a fight breaks out or whatever, you then control it. And it is done so well. The, the camera movement and everything, it feels like a real, real movie. It feels like it was actually directed by a real director, you know, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I definitely think for people who want more of a, you know, cinematic Mortal Kombat experience and, you know, don't think the movies live up to what they would hope for. They should definitely not sleep on that story mode in the, the last two Mortal Kombat games. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, David. Uh, tell people again where they can find you and your podcast on social media. Sure. Yeah. You can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And we also have a Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about on the show. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. You know, we were talking earlier about the, the, the music in Mortal Kombat. Tell people a little bit where they can find your music. I know you wanted to try and plug that as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my albums are all instrumental based music under my name, David Rosen. My most recent album was self-titled David Rosen, but I have six albums out. They're all available on iTunes and Spotify and all those kind of places. And I also have a website by davidrosen.com where you can link to all my music videos that I put out for songs from those albums and also see some of the work I do in film scoring. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, David. This was a blast and we'll definitely get you back on. Just come up with an, you know what? I, like I said, we're talking about uh, child's play on the show soon. At some point I am absolutely going to do the evil dead franchise. So Ooh. when I do, I will reach out to you. Cause I know I'm you, your, I'm you your guy. Ultra violence, two episodes. Let's do it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks David. Big thanks to David Rosen from the Piecing It Together podcast for coming on to discuss the Mortal Kombat franchise. Now, I want to know, when did you get aboard Mortal Kombat? When did you when did you first uh, learn how to, who, to finish them and, and do fatalities and flawless victories? What is your experience? What was your jumping on point for the Mortal Kombat franchise? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you next time.
This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.